0: The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 10, David Platt begins by presenting Scripture's teaching on the crucifixion, including the ways in which the Father, Son, and Spirit are involved in Christ's death and its effects. Then, we consider various aspects of God's salvation. Man's depravity, regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, union with Christ, sanctification, preservation and perseverance, and resurrection. In the end, we'll see how every aspect of our salvation is made possible by God's grace and aimed at God's glory. This is Secret Church 10, Episode 1.
1: Strap your seatbelt on, and let's, let's get started. Doctrine's before us. Here we go. What are we looking at tonight? Three main goals. One, we want to contemplate the wonder of crucifixion. On this Good Friday, we remember that when it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So, on, on this Good Friday, we want, to go, we want to go deeper than just images in our mind of a bloody cross. We want, to, we want to explore the wonder of what was happening in the moment where Jesus Christ breathed his last. What does that mean? I want to contemplate the wonder of crucifixion. Second, we want to consider the meaning of salvation. And this is really our main focus tonight. We're going to go pretty swiftly through that that first part, wonder of crucifixion. Obviously not because it's it's not important, but we actually did a, a previous secret church on the atonement. And we dove in deep into the cross of Christ and what it means. And so if you want to go back, I realize most people have not, were not a part of that secret church. And so if you want to go back, those resources available online for free. Um, but we're going we're gonna to hit some of the highlights from that. But that's going to drive us into the meaning of salvation. So Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago question for us tonight is how does his death become a reality in our life in the 21st century? In this room, in the rooms where we gather together tonight, how does this death become a reality to us now? Just just because he died, that doesn't mean everyone is saved from their sins. There's a lot of people who would would say that. Some popular teachers today believe that, but they are wrong. They're dead wrong. They're eternally wrong. No matter how popular their book is is. Salvation, Christ bought us on a cross 2,000 years ago, becomes a reality in our lives through salvation. And the question we're looking at tonight is a question that's been asked ever since the Philippian jailer said in Acts chapter 16, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And there's a a lot of confusion in our day on how that question should be answered. And so our goal over the next few hours is to to answer it. Now, we don't want to complicate salvation. We don't want to digest this so much that we lose the simplicity of salvation. At the same time, we want to be clear about salvation. If our our eternity is dependent on having a biblical understanding of salvation, then this is worth spending some time on. So we want to contemplate wonder of crucifixion. Consider the meaning of salvation. We want to comprehend the importance of mission. After Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, he said to his followers, It is written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And that's that's the deal for us tonight. Once we see what it means for Christ to die on the cross, rise from the grave, for His salvation to to absolutely revolutionize your life for all of eternity. Once we realize these things, we will be compelled to give possessions and plans and dreams, to surrender homes and cars and whatever the Lord asks us to do to make this good news known to the ends of the earth. That's, that's where we're going to end up, the importance of mission. But I want to I start with, with you individually. Whether you're sitting in this room or you're sitting in a home or a church building somewhere else i want i want to warn us from the very beginning that there is a danger within us one of the most frightening passages of scripture for me as a pastor is matthew chapter 7 verse 21 through 23 listen to what jesus says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That that passage keeps me awake at night. To think that there are people, many people, Jesus says, who will be surprised one day to find that though they thought they were safe before God, they were not. That there will be many people who on that day will be surprised. They thought they were on a road that leads to heaven, and the reality is they were on a road that leads to hell. That's frightening. So... Amidst a sea of 50,000 people, I I could wish to have this conversation one on one with every single person. So, if, if we could just, in a sense, hone in here, not talking to the person beside you, in front of you, behind you, next to you, like right where you were sitting, spiritual deception is entirely possible. Don't miss this. Jesus is speaking of this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. He's talking not to atheists and agnostics and pagans and heretics. He's talking to religious people. Religious people. Devoutly religious. Who were deluded into thinking they're saved when they're not. People that would be shocked to find out on that day that they were not going to heaven. The reality here in Matthew 7 is it is possible to fool ourselves when it comes to our spiritual condition. It is possible to fool ourselves when it comes to life's most important question. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it's not in your notes, so we'll get to it later. But 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says the God of this world, Satan, is blinding the minds of unbelievers. Blinding minds. He's blinding minds. And I'm convinced one of the ways he's blinding minds is by convincing people, even people in the church, that their salvation is sure when it is not. And their eternity is secure when it is it's not I'm convinced he's doing it all over the church and our contemporary efforts to reach as many people as possible with this great gospel we have maligned and misrepresented and minimalized this gospel we have pared down salvation to a shrink-wrapped presentation that if you can get someone to say the right things back to you pray the right things back to you we'll pronounce you saved and you can move on friend of mine, four years old, he's not four years old now, was at one point four years old. Although I have friends with four-year-olds also. But when he was four years old, watched Tom and Jerry cartoon. And in the cartoon, Tom was was thrown into hell for something bad he'd done to Jerry. Scared, this little four-year-old out of his mind. He's sharing that with someone, with a man at his church. The man looks at him and says, well, you don't want to go to hell, do you? The four-year-old says, well, no. And he says, well, just pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I receive you into my life. I receive you into my life and accept your gift of eternal life in heaven. I accept your gift of eternal life in heaven. Amen, amen. Son, you are saved. And you have no need to worry ever again about, about hell. That's a lie. It's a lie and it's been sold in all kinds of different forms all over the place. And it's frightening the effect that we can literally take the lifeblood, the gospel lifeblood out of Christianity, put Kool-Aid in its place and sell it to as many people as possible and in the process deceive souls. Spiritual deception is entirely possible, and spiritual deception is eternally dangerous. It's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7. Could it be that there are some people, host of professing Christians, I would dare say maybe even some who are involved in this picture, maybe many who are involved in this picture tonight, who think they are eternally saved when they're not. You back up in this passage a bit. And you see Jesus warning us that we gravitate toward that which is easy and popular. He said in verse 13 and 14, a few verses before, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus says, there's a wide gate. It's easy, it's inviting, it's spacious, it accommodates the crowds, attractive. Inclusive. Few rules, few regulations, few requirements. Now don't miss it, it's a religious road. Remember the context here is a religious people. There is a religious road that does not require much of you. There is a religious road being advertised before us today that makes grandiose promises at minimal cost. All it requires is a one-time decision, and then you need not worry about God's commands, God's standards, God's glory. After that, you have a ticket, you are on your way to heaven, and your sin will be tolerated along the way. It's a wide road. And Jesus says the gate of salvation is narrow. The word here for narrow means to press in, to groan, press through, as if under trial or persecution. Scripture's teaching here that the way of Christ is hard to follow. This is not isolated from Jesus. Luke 14, 25, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You go to the very end, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. People say, well, this is getting a little heavy from the start here. Like, Don't you need to wait to address these things once Christians are more mature? Don't miss it. This was people's introduction to Jesus in the first century. This is foundational for what it means to be a disciple. This is deeper than praying a prayer. This is laying down your life. Road is not for those who want cheap and easy way to heaven while you're indulging in the pleasures of earth. That road is headed to destruction, Apollaea, Matthew 7, definitive destruction, plunged into destiny of death. That's what awaits the easy, popular, comfortable, ever so crowded roads. The near, narrow road leads to life, and it begs the question, which, which road are you on, college student? Which, which road are you on, businessman, businesswoman? Which which road are you on mom or dad middle schooler high schooler which road are you on single adult senior adult this important question the road is hard not only is it hard to follow but the way of christ is hated by many jesus said three chapters later in matthew chapter 10 you're going to go out like sheep in the middle of wolves They'll flog you in their synagogues will be dragged before governors and kings Brother will deliver brother over to death in the middle of that passage. Father his child. Children will rise against parents, have them put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. People say, well, if we just start living, if we all just start living like Christ, the world will be drawn to us. On the, on the contrary, we all start living like Christ. The world will hate us because the world hated him. He lived so contrary to the ways of this world. So here's the deal. Jesus says we gravitate toward that which is easy and popular. He says we can profess, follow Matthew 7, we can profess publicly what we do not possess personally. You keep going in that passage after verse 13 and 14, he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus is talking here about false professors of Christianity. People who claim to have Christ, but don't. It's the same thing we saw in verse 21. Lord, Lord, did we not profit? Did we not do all of these things? Jesus says, I never knew you. Oh, see how close you can be to spiritual reality and yet be clouded in superficial religiosity jesus is saying here that the way of christ is always fruitful how do you tell true followers of christ from superficial followers of christ look at their fruit jesus says not just gifts and miracle workings john 15 look at the fruit of their life whoever abides in me and i in him he bears much fruit a good good tree always bears good fruit A follower of christ bears the righteousness of Christ, the truth of Christ, the love of Christ. You don't see truth of Christ? You don't see righteousness of Christ? You don't see love of Christ? There's a question about whether or not Christ is, is there. We'll see that later in, in James 2. Faith without works is dead. The way, of is, the way of Christ is always fruitful and the way of Christ is always faithful. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but listen to this, only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Did you catch that? Jesus just said that the only one who enters into the kingdom of heaven is the one who obeys the Father's will. The only one who enters into the kingdom of heaven is the one who obeys the Father's will. David, did you just say that works are involved in salvation? No, 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 I didn't. Jesus did. Now, I want you to hang with me. Hang with me until around 10 o'clock because we're going to get to how works relate to salvation. We've got to grapple with this from the very beginning. Only he who, who obeys, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, enter the kingdom of heaven. You're my friends, John 15. If you do what I command. Acts 26 talks about deeds in keeping with our repentance. Lack of obedience, lack of fruit, lack of deeds is a picture of deception. Deception. And we can profess publicly what we do not possess personally. Finally, we here's spiritual deception. We can assume salvation without biblical foundation. Listen to this last illustration in the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. It's two builders. They have a lot in common. Both of them have heard the words of Christ. They both build a house. From all accounts, it looks like they, they look the same. But then when the storm comes, one stands, the other crashes. The difference is The foundation. Everyone who hears these words of mine hear the foundation and puts them into practice. Hearing the word of God, putting into practice. So proper foundation first. The way of Christ is dependent on his word. Hear these words of mine. Jesus is talking to a whole group of people in Matthew chapter 7 that had built a system of traditions and opinions of man and rules and regulations of man to follow thinking that if we do these things we'll be okay before God. And Jesus says, "You've, you've missed the whole point. Is it possible in the 21st century for us to build a whole host of traditions and ideas and opinions of men that we think equate with salvation but are not actually in the Word of God? What must I do to be saved? Invite Christ into your life. Accept Christ into your heart. Both phrases that are never mentioned in the Word of God. The last thing we want to do is assume salvation without biblical foundation. I want to use the word here. Jesus says in Matthew 4, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First Christian sermon acts two, repent. So what what does that mean? That's what we're going to look at tonight. What what does that mean? We don't want to settle for trite phrases that are common to us. We We want clear truth that comes from God. That's how we want to understand salvation. The way of Christ is dependent on His Word, and the way of Christ is obedient to His Word. So here it is again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And puts them into practice. Now again, we're going to look later at the relationship, how works and salvation relate to one another. But I want you to see that Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount and He says, basically, there's a storm of holy judgment coming and the only one who will stand on that day is the one who has heard the Word of God and put it into practice. So that leads us to our purpose tonight. And really my challenge to every single person that's involved in this whole picture tonight, without exception to every pastor To every deacon, to every ch- church staff member, to every church member, every church attender, every single person, here's, here's what I, I pray that by God's grace we will do tonight. That we will first, we will listen to the Savior. No matter who you are no matter what background you're from, what traditions you hold to, I want to invite us to listen to Christ. Maybe you're even here and you're from another religion or you're a vowed atheist or agnostic. I want to invite you to hear why Jesus is the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I want us to listen to him, Hope, I hope you'll see words saturated during our time tonight. I want to listen to the Savior. We need to examine our souls. I know that even starting this way, I was hesitant to dive into Matthew 7 from the start. Instead of kind of easing in, just kind of jump into the dive in, the, the, the deep end. But, but it, here's the deal. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So here's the deal. I feel the tension in, in diving into Matthew 7 because I know I know that there are a whole host of people in this room and in locations around the country and beyond who, who are saved. Who have been gloriously saved from your sins. And the last thing I want to do is for people who have been saved to... Walk away just doubting their salvation. That's the last thing I want. My, my prayer is, if you've been saved, that tonight you would you would be reminded of the beauty of your salvation and what it means for God to have saved you from your sins. You walk away and comforted and encouraged, and built up and, and challenged. But if for people who I know... Let's see if 50,000, I know there are many who have not been saved. And some of those who think they have. And for anyone who thinks they have been saved when they have not been saved, the last thing I want is for you to feel comfortable tonight. That's, that's the last thing I want. If you've not been saved, my prayer is that you will be, that many will Be convicted. Be convicted. George Whitfield said during one of his sermons on the subject of false professions of faith in Christ, he said, Thou then, for God's sake, for your own soul's sake, if you have a mind to dwell with God and cannot bear the thought of dwelling in everlasting burning, before I go any further, silently put up one prayer. Or say amen to the prayer I would put in your mouths. Lord, search me and try me. Lord, examine my heart and let my conscience speak. Oh, let me know whether I am converted or not. That's a good prayer to pray. And I'm praying that God will use it to draw many tonight to himself truly authentically for the first time. And in that process, if you have been saved, that you would be encouraged as you're reminded the beauty and wonder of your salvation. So let's listen to Savior, examine our souls, and then let's, then let's abandon ourselves. In light of this great salvation, let's Let's loose our lives for all who've been saved. Be equipped to go where he leads. Be compelled to give whatever he requires so that the nations might be saved. Because we are living and looking forward to the day when a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribes, peoples, and languages will stand before the throne, cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So here's the plan. What we're going to do, this is kind of an outline for our time together tonight. Crucifixion, we're going to look at that, we're going Look at the meaning, of what it means when Jesus breathed this last. Father satisfied. And I kind of just noted there the different doctrines we'll hit on. Not exhaustively each one of these, but we're going to hit on. Father satisfied, Son is sacrificed, Spirit is sent. I want you to see the, the Trinity involved in what's happening at the cross. Then we're going to spend the bulk of our time in that middle section salvation. How God reveals our need, we're going to look at depravity. How God changes our heart, regeneration. How God enables our belief, conversion. How He reverses our status, justification, adoption, union with Christ. He transforms our life. The doctrine of sanctification, preservation and perseverance. Then He resurrects our bodies. The doctrine of glorification. Then we'll get to the glory of God. In the very end, crucifixion and salvation are all by God's grace. When you are good and tired, we will dive into one of the deepest mysteries of the Bible. And we will solve election this evening. No, in all seriousness, we're, oh, I pray, look at the, what the Word says about election. Not John Calvin or Jacob Arminius, but God's Word, and His Word will lead us to see that crucifixion and salvation are all for God's glory and the doctrine of global mission. Sound like a plan?
0: Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at radical.net.